0: Hi, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 4th of June 2021 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. In the past year or so, I'm sure you've noticed our world has shifted quite radically. Today's story is one of mine, and it's a story that was an absolute joy to write and perform as it brought a sense of the joy of having family around you and exploring my own world with people I'm connected to, not only because they're really neat people, but also because they're family. Family is a bit special, and I'm always grateful for mine. Today, as we dodge the raindrops, we'll be thinking of family and friends near and far, those that are still with us and those that are not. After my story, we'll be listening to a story from Ann about the magical city of Venice. Before we get to today's stories, though, a huge thank you goes out to our loyal Hong Kong audience. We hear you, Hong Kong. We are listening. Take care of yourselves. Thanks go out as well to our overseas listeners this week, particularly to listeners in Columbus, Ohio, and Chicago, Illinois in the USA, Moscow in Russia, and Camberwell in England. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. We do have another upcoming show. The next one will be on the 5th of August and the theme will be Bustin' Out. There'll be a pitch workshop coming up and it'll be posted on Meetup, so keep your ear to the ground if you're looking to pitch. There are also some new Tell Any Story You Like workshops and we're so glad to see them back again. So if you're interested in coming and learning to tell your best story, go to hongkongstories.com and find the Meetup link to sign up. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than comedy. It's better than drama. It's real life. And now, here is one of my stories, which, to be honest, I never quite know how to introduce. If you don't already have a sister, I recommend you get one. They're really worth it. I have a sister who's younger than me, quite, quite a lot younger than me, and she's pretty awesome. She's always been so much more mm, adult. I've always admired her strength and her fortitude and her determination. And uh, honestly, I've always found her just a tiny bit intimidating as well. She always looks so together. And I've got this nephew as well. He's a pretty cool kid, too. He's, uh, you know, tall and thin and he's got kind of floppy brown hair and brown eyes and a serious expression and a bit of a cheeky grin. He is the apple of my sister's eye and her very favorite oldest son. And I've always thought that because I don't have children, my sister finds me somewhat lacking in the child care department. Um, And I was really surprised, therefore, that she suggested that he come all the way to Hong Kong in the spring of March 2019 to visit his very favorite auntie. And because she's always found me, I I feel like she's always found me lacking in the child care department. I was surprised when this happened. Um, And she seemed remarkably casual when she suggested it. But as the date of departure drew nearer, her maternal anxiety began to manifest. "'Are you sure you're ready for this?' she said. "'He's a teenage boy. You've never had one of those living in your house before. They're strange creatures, quiet and surly. He's a country boy. He's never lived in a city before. What if he gets lost?' (sighs) "'No problems,' I say.' I mean, he's a 14-year-old man-boy. If he wants something, he'll just tell me. Besides, either myself or my husband will be with him all the time. It will be fine. And, you know, the day arrives, and the nephew comes, and everything is fine. We do all the usual tourist things that you do in Hong Kong, and we have a fantastic time. Okay, the conversations are a little bit one-sided at times, but generally speaking, he washes, he 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 eats, he he sleeps, he takes care of himself just like a regular human. I am an awesome auntie. Until one day when I have a after-school class that I'm teaching at one of the international schools in Hong Kong. Now this school is big, and it's beautiful, and it's careful, and I suspect that they're going to look very down on part-time art teachers who bring their man-sized nephews and park them in the corner of the classroom while they teach a class, so I have a plan to leave him at the local shopping mall, but something happens, and I'm late, and I'm flustered, and I end up having to bring him with me. Fortunately for me, even though everyone else in Hong Kong thinks that he's a fully grown adult, a high school can recognize a teen. So they say, of course you can bring him. He can sit in the very public ground floor cafeteria while you go and teach your class. Fabulous. I get him a coffee and and a sandwich and make sure he has his mobile phone, but I still feel a little bit guilty and a bit anxious, thinking about my sister's wrath if I somehow managed to lose or damage the nephew. But I go off to teach my class, and I'm teaching a bookbinding class to a bunch of secondary school students, and it takes all of my attention. And the class is going quite well, about 15 minutes in, when I kind of, you know, because we're not supposed to have mobile phones, but the students aren't supposed to have mobile phones, and I kind of pull my mobile phone out Well, nobody's really looking, and quickly text the nephew just to make sure he's okay. And I text, everything okay? And right away, ping, a message comes back. Yep. Great. Okay. Keep going and make sure all the students are on track with what they're doing. Nobody sews their pages in backwards. Half an hour goes by, and I text him again. Everything okay? ping, yeah, fabulous, this is a breeze, no problem. I was anxious that maybe somebody would come up to him in the cafeteria, a teenager with no uniform on, ask him what he was doing, but no, everything is going very well. So I help my students, I make sure that they're sewing in the right holes and the pages are all the right way around, and I managed to last another 15 minutes before my anxiety and thinking of my sister starts to sort of weigh on me again and I text again everything okay. And there's a pause. And then ping, there's a rat in the cafeteria. <laughs> and and uh, to, be, to be completely honest, I wasn't that worried. He's a country boy. He's seen wild animals before. He's very sensible. He'll stay away from it. It will be fine. And then ping, I caught the rat. (laughs) He caught the rat. And I'm taking deep breaths and I'm trying not to swear because I'm trying to be a professional here. But all I can think of was he caught the rat and I'm going to have to call my sister and tell her that her nephew's going to be late getting home because he's got to have a course of rabies treatments in the hospital and he's going to be here for an extra week. She's never going to speak to me again. He caught the rat and another message comes through. Ping! It's okay. I washed my hands. But this is not okay. This is not okay at all. And I have five students standing in front of me now. And there is seven minutes left of class. And I am taking deep breaths. And I'm telling myself whatever has happened has happened. There's nothing you can do about it now. And I'm trying to push down the thought that, you know, they won't take him to the hospital right away. And surely they'll wait until I can be down there by his side. And deep breaths. Deep breaths. The class finishes, and as that last blazer turns the corner, I take off like a rocket towards the fire exit. And I'm down the stairs, all four flights, and across this giant school, and I arrive at the cafeteria, breathless, sweating, and there's the nephew. He's fine. He's standing there, unbroken, unbruised, unbitten, and his hands do look clean. And I asked him, what happened? And he said, there's a rat. And I said, yeah, I got that part. And I rolled my eyes, because I learned that from him. And then he said, there was a rat in the cafeteria, and everybody's just running around screaming. Kids? I said, no, adults and like teachers too. And they were, people were like throwing stuff at it. It's not how you can catch a rat. And I don't know, it was just, crazy. And I was sitting there and I was just, you know, minding my own business. And then the rat comes next to me and there's a plant pot next to me. So I just took my knee and I shoved the plant pot next to it and trapped the rat against the wall. And then I just picked it up by the tail. (laughs) And I said, it didn't bite you. And he said, no. And then some adults came over with a bucket and I tried to tell him you can't put a rat in a bucket, but they wanted me to put it in. So I put it in And then somebody put it on the floor, and of course, the rat jumped out, just like I said it would. (laughs) And then it started running around the cafeteria again, and everybody's throwing stuff at it, and somebody hit it with a tray and stunned it. Then they took the tray and put it on it and jumped on it and killed the rat. And he just had this look of disgust and dismay. He said, why did they have to do that? Can they have just let it go? And I look at this this man child and and think about all the anxiety that me and my sister have gone through, worrying about whether or not he'd be okay in this strange environment far from home. And I think, no, he's he's a pretty together kid. He's going to be fine. Me, on the other hand, I'm not totally sure. So I put my arm around his shoulders, and, I, and as we go towards the entrance, I... So um, here's the really important question. Um, what are we going to tell your mom? <laughs> and that night, as I was FaceTiming my sister, I confessed about my lapse in auntie-nephew care and told her about the uh, brush that he had with wildlife, and she was completely unfazed. In fact, the only thing she asked me was, did he wash his hands? (laughs) That was my first performance in a surgical mask. It was very different for sure. Now, isn't family great? I love my nephews and nieces too, and I love our Hong Kong Stories family we've met over the years. Shout out to all those who've moved overseas. We still miss you. Workshops are beginning to pop up again on our meetup, which can be reached through our website, hongkongstories.com. Sign up quick. With such limited numbers, space is at a premium. Now, with her story to remind us to never stop seizing the day, is Josie Ann.
1: Thank you. Like many of you here tonight, I, was, I am fortunate enough to have traveled extensively in my life. I've been to Italy several times, but I only managed to get to Venice for the first time last year. That said, my uh, relationship with that city spanned 40 years. When I was 7 or 8 years old, and I'm sure you're calculating already how old I am. When I, <laughs> older? When I was 7 or 8 years old, uh, my father had the opportunity to relocate from our native Belgium to Nigeria in Africa. Now, it was at a time of an economic downturn, and my father was not very proficient at negotiating contract. That means that we moved to Nigeria as migrants rather than as expatriates. In other words, he didn't earn enough money to support a family of four, buy a new car, hire a driver, and send his eldest daughter to private education in Nigeria. So very reluctantly, my parents sent me back home to Belgium to boarding school. Now, unlike today, when I was eight, I was very shy. I was very mature, probably like today, and uh, I was not prepared to living away from my family for that long. So it was a very difficult time, and that's the only part of the sub story. I promise. Um, I was very homesick. I cried a lot. I was missing my mother. I was a mummy's girl. Christmas came. I was flown to 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 Nigeria within three weeks, and it was pure bliss. I played with my sister. I spent time with my mom hugged her a lot, the kind of things you do with your parents. And like everything else, that holiday came to an end. And on the last day, on the way to the airport, I, you know, started sobbing, as you do at eight years old, in the car, very discreetly. And by the time we got to the airport, by the time we got to the gate, it, it turned out in a full-blown tear fest. Both my mom and I were just eyeing our balls at, very, very heartbroken. I know it's funny, but it wasn't. And my father didn't see the funny side or the sad side of it at all, and he was deeply embarrassed. My father had many great qualities, but empathy was not one of them. So he instructed my mother to just pull herself together and sort me out as well, because everybody was watching. But it's a bit like in the Dominican Republic. In Nigeria, everybody shows their emotions, so nobody cared. Only he did. So my mom composed herself very bravely, and then decided to... Changed my my, my mindset as well. And she adopted a very clever strategy with with me, which was appeal to my sense of adventure. So she told me that if I was a good girl, a strong girl, if I worked really hard at school, stop crying today, um, we would go in June at the end of the school holidays to an amazing place called Venice in Italy. So I have no idea whether you know what Venice is. I had no idea. And at that point in time, was like I couldn't care less either. But my mom explained to me what it was like, and it was something like this. Venice is that amazing city in Italy. It's a magical city because it's built on 100 islands. And basically, it was built a long, long time ago. It's a very, very ancient city where the buildings look like they're floating on the water. There are no streets in Venice, only canals. There's a grand canal that is wider than the motorway. You've got many smaller canals where the houses are so close to each other they you can see the laundry lines basically hanging between the two sets of houses, and you can see laundry drying. You can go and see the vaporetto, which are the buses in Venice, but you can also go on the gondolas, where you have people, with men with straw hats and striped T-shirts and, and black uh, uh, trousers. You have the palazzos where princes, of course, used to live, and princesses. And then you have this carnival once a year, where you've got amazing, amazing people dressing up with the ladies with the huge wigs and big taffeta dresses. Now, I was dreaming, and then part of me was thinking, how do they manage with the water? But I didn't want to interrupt her. So we continued. She was speaking to me, and as she continued to, to explain very vividly, and I'm sure she was making half of it up, she just captured my imagination, and I stopped crying for long enough to board the plane. So that was at Christmas time. Then, obviously, about five minutes after I left, my mom started crying again as you do when you're an eight-year-old. And when I went back to school, I just proceeded to very dutifully listen to my mother, who said, whenever you feel homesick, think about Venice. I took it one step further, because I was trying to be an overachiever already, and thought I would do some research on Venice as well. Now, I was born last century, before the Internet and the Google. So in those days, <laughs> when you wanted to do the research, you had to show commitment, And go, and go, you know what I mean, right? And go to the library. So that took a lot of effort. And the wonderful thing, of course, it was extremely healing. So I learned about Venice and daydreamed about Venice and got in trouble as well. But that's a different story. And as the time went by, I learned a lot more about Venice. And I really really wanted to go. I learned about the culture, the history, the architecture, the prince. And when I didn't like the story, I made it myself as well. And the end of the year came, June came, and I was so excited for two reasons. One, of course, I was going to see my family, especially mom. Two, we're going to go to Venice. That was so exciting. So on the day that my parents were supposed to arrive, my little sister, I was at my granddad's, you know, checking out on the window, quite laid back, in an excited kind of way. And the taxi pulled up, my parents came out, jumped out, and just, you know, hoping someone will, will collect me, which they did. We, we did what people do when they, they, they see each other after many months. And after all the questions were answered, I had shown my, my school report. The suitcase was emptied. I was finally able to ask the, the question that was burning my lips. When are we going to go to Venice? Now I noticed my mom shifting. She looked uncomfortable. And I went, Dad? And my father said, oh, we've just been. It wasn't that exciting. <laughs> you didn't miss anything, and your sister's got a gondola for you. I wasn't expecting laughter. I just thought, exactly. You can feel, right? I don't need to explain. I was like, what? Now, I was a very compliant girl. I was definitely not going to challenge my father. He would not have uh, approved. But basically, time stopped, literally, at that point. And I mustered the courage to look at my father and said, You mean you went without me? I said, Well, yes. It was cheaper that way. And that was that. Thank you. That's it. The healing <laughs> So I have, I, have, um, <laughs> I have told this story many times over the past 40 years because it's my Venice story, of course. Um, and last year, I was having lunch with my uh, older sons, my ex-husband and a few, and, a friend, and uh, we were talking about summer holidays. One started talking about their planned holidays to Italy. I thought, oh, maybe Venice. Yes, they're going to Venice. So, of course, I'd keep my Venice story. And um, on the way back, my eldest son, Max, said, Mom, I don't understand. Why have you never been to Venice? I said, but you've heard that story a thousand times. He says, no, 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 not as a kid, as an adult. Why have you not been to Venice? And that was the light bulb moment. It was a <laughs> yes and yes moment. <laughs> and so I'll spare you the detail, but last June we went to Venice. Only Max came with me, but we did the sort of things that I wanted to do as a little girl. Quite a few I had forgotten, to be honest. And then we did additional, more exciting things. So one of them was taking part in a regatta called La Voga Longa. That did not exist when I was a little girl. La Voga Longa, if you don't know, uh, is a wonderful day out. If you imagine the Grand Canal over a distance of 30 kilometers for one day, no motorboats are allowed. Only man-powered vessels. And you've got about 2,000 vessels from kayaks to gondolas to even dragon boat and boats whose name I don't know but with many people on it, rowing or paddling. And it's supposed to be a kind of race, but Italian style. So it's really a day out and you stop to eat, you stop to have spritz, you stop to have a bit of Prosecco and maybe one too many. And my son and I rented a, a, a duo kayak and we had the most wonderful day. And that was kind of illustrative of the whole week. So that now is my Venice story. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to today's stories brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was written and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell.